welcome to Homegrown Episode 3. I'm Luke. I'm Caitlin. I'm Gina. I'm Maddie. We've got a quite the show for you today. So how was your day today so far, guys? Uh, it was, it was alright. It's just starting. I trekked to school today through the... I didn't walk, but I like walked from a car to school. That's and that was a big step in. It so. was like three feet of snow. <laughs> exactly. It was a lot. I don't know. I'm just really tired already from <laughs> all of this. Just looking at all the snow makes me just so so tired did you take the bus to school today no but weird thing like all the accidents i was telling you guys about when i was getting to school was buses just being like turned sideways yes, onto the middle yeah. of the street and i was like well mm-hmm. gotta find a different route now there yeah. was there was yeah. two blocking my way yeah me too and one was on a bridge itself so like <laughs> the entire bridge was blocked off because the bus ended up just being sideways so it's blocking off the main road or the main road the main like the bridge itself how does that happen? I have no idea. Bus driver's like, okay, I'm going to try right, drifting this corner. This. <laughs> and he just like, yeah. gets stuck. But that was basically, like, just dealing with that just drained all of my energy. Wow. Yeah, I saw, like, three or four stalled buses on my way here. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't even that long of a drive. Yeah. They were everywhere. It wow. took me about an hour oh to get here. Goodness. That was good. How long does it normally take you? Like... 35 minutes. So. Oh, that's almost double. Do you yeah. drive here, Maddie? Uh, most of the time, yeah. Or like, like today I guess, you drove? Yeah, well, I got my friend to drop me off. Oh, that's, oh, that's nice. Good. So that way I didn't have to leave my car here for that's stressful for all you. day and pile up the snow. Nice. I was actually pretty impressed with Winnipeg Transit. I didn't see any stalled buses or anything, and my commute was like 20 minutes. So That's awesome. What? But I think like, my route just happens to be really nice. So. Mm-hmm. Okay. I think people have been like prepping this snowstorm too, so... Yeah, a lot, of my, was ready. a lot of my teacher friends outside of Winnipeg were like, yep, we already found a sub for today. We're not coming in. <laughs> wow. And I was like, no, you're smart. So the thing with all this snow is it's actually good for the farmers because um, <laughs> they, they've been, I've, I've heard a lot in the news and like um, about how it's going to be a, a dry winter or a summer because of the lack of snow because um, there's not going to, when it all melts, they're, they're not going to have as much uh, water in their fields. Oh, that makes but, sense. But uh, so this is actually really good for them. Do you guys know how long it's supposed to snow for? Apparently, we're supposed to get an additional five centimeters tonight. Really? Oh, I didn't hear that. That's disappointing. <laughs> Sorry, but like it's, but it's good, good for, for the farmers. farmers. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. What else is happening uh, recently in the news? So, I have something. It's actually really, really, really recent. Now that I'm reading, now that I like read more into it, um, it's called the farm to fashion runway so basically what it is it's using sustainable resources and textiles that are good for the environment and good for people's skin as well so it was introduced at the guelph organic conference that happened january 25 2018 so it's an initi- it's an initiative that was introduced only this year it was a panel at the conference and it was held by or is moderated by becky porlier um she's Part of Upper Canada Fiber Shed and Upper Canada Mercantile. Basically, they they brought in three farmers or three people that are in the fashion industry or fashion forward people that are about sustainability, like Peggy Sue Devine. She's a fashion designer and uses um, she's a shepherd, <laughs> so she mm. handles sheep and stuff. That's cool. Uh, Deborah Livingstone Lowe is a textile worker, so she knows all about 
She provides the weaver fabricator perspective. Jennifer Osborne of Upper Canada Fiber Shed and All Source Acre. She provides basically the farmer's view and discusses the opportunities and challenges of growing fiber, including organic certification for fashion designers. Wow. Yeah, so when I was re- researching more into it, there's no definition of what farm to fashion runway actually is. Hmm. What they consider it as is... Um, basically a compelling case on why people shouldn't have to compromise their ethics and sustainability when it comes to the clothes you wear. Hmm. Mm-hmm. And they can choose some and people can choose stuff that is ethically produced and attractive. So the fashion designer, so Peggy, she talks about how sheep are are put under a lot of pressure through like what is it called? Shearing? <laughs> yeah, shearing. Yeah. Like taking off their wool. Shearing them and that they get very upset and it produces really bad quality wool so they need to be put oh really they need to be fed properly they need to be taken care of they need to be loved like all those like feel-good things that make people happy are the same things that sheep need in order to produce quality wool and because of the pressure that they're put under it compromises the wool that we get on our, for our clothes and it's really bad for your skin apparently oh you know if you would have made us guess i probably would have said that Really? Farm to fashion runway would have been like farmers wanting to display their farm outfits or something. <laughs> oh. <laughs> we should Just start that trend. Overalls. Best overalls yeah. of the year. <laughs> um, so the fashion designer, Peggy Sue, she seeks to affect change in the industry by producing an exclusively northern, northern, North American ready-to-wear collection that honors the, honors the farmer, the maker, and the creator. So basically what she says is that Oftentimes when people are like, oh, I like your shirt. Who's the designer? Or I like your shirt. Where is it from? Mm -hmm. They don't often think about, oh, who's the farmer? Who's like the person helping produce the textiles, producing like the grains that help create all these fabrics and stuff Mm -hmm. or the dyes and whatever. And she wants people to be knowledgeable of where their food and their clothes actually come from as well. Mm -hmm. Nice. So yeah, it was interesting. Um, It's a slow movement, or I guess it's a new movement, not a slow movement, sorry, because it's it's an issue that they don't have a lot of information to back it up because um, it's based on how farmers cultivate their farms and how they treat their animals as well, right? Hmm. So the takeaway from the conference was that farmers are hopeful for the new season coming up that they can help impact that change. But it they say it's like it's not meant to be easy, like as everything else in life is. It's not meant to be easy, but it's something to hope for within the fashion industry. And I guess there's like all this hate about like, you know... Um, like fur and like all of that and like this is a way to help show you know animals are being cared for and textiles are being really well produced or really well taken care of and cultivated that it'll be it's something that can relay onto our skin and our bodies as well and I think another aspect of the farm to fashion runway was reusing old clothes so if your clothes are torn up or whatever like you can just refab or you can just repatch them Apparently, like, she does it with other clothes. So she, if her, if, like, there's a rip on her shirt, she just patches it up with another shirt that's ripped or something. I don't know. (laughs) That's, that was something that was just very brief that I thought was interesting, like, repatching old clothes with new clothes or whatever. That's super cool. And that'll look cool, too. Yeah. And I think it's a cool way to be different and unique. (laughs) (laughs) But, yeah. So that's Farm to Fashion Runway. It's a new initiative, and hopefully we see more of that because it's something that not only is good for the environment, good for our bodies, but also good for farmer, local farmers as well. Hopefully it brings awareness to sustainability, to mm. local farmers, and just being conscious about what we purchase. Yeah. Like, like your food you eat. It's yeah. basically the same thing. 
Yeah, that's yeah. really cool. Where did you read about that? I don't remember where, but it was definitely online. I definitely saw it online. What what platform was in? It was maybe Twitter, mm-hmm. maybe Facebook, but right. I'm not entirely sure. But that's, yeah, Farm to Fashion Runway. Hopefully we hear things new things soon. Yeah, that's cool. really cool. Mm-hmm. Um, so what other kind of local food in the news has there been? Luke, you were talking about there was a recent event in Winnipeg yeah I love local uh love local MB I don't know Maddie also probably knows a little bit about it so she can piggyback what Mm -hmm. I'm saying but um by the sounds of it it sounds like uh it was on March 3rd it was uh uh, just this event which had a bunch of vendors uh 50 vendors I think it was and they it was it's kind of like a farmer's market except that it was a more focus on instead of like actually farmers um like a lot of different um places like chocolate beef jerky and like um a lot of breweries were there as well so because i mean it's this time of year where there's not as much growing um like in terms of vegetables and stuff so they have this event and it's all these other things that they can still um, produce throughout the winter um so one of these actually was uh like biltong beef jerky it was uh, <laughs> what? It's like South African inspired. Um, okay. Biltong is like this. It's like beef jerky. This thing they have in South Africa. So this guy, I think, I I think he's from South Africa. Actually, he came and he's making this the same way they do in South Africa, but he's making it in Manitoba. Nice. And uh, yeah, so we also got um, all of like the um, breweries, like Farmery, uh, like Torque, Half Pints, like. Little Brown um, Jug. Little Brown Jug. Yeah, they all showed up as well. It's really cool. They actually have over a 1,000 people in attendance each year. Um, and it was recognized as one of their, like, premier food and beverage events in Manitoba because they focus on so many different kinds of, like, local small businesses and breweries. Oh, yeah. I was, like, picturing, like, like, a farmer's market at, like, like those ones in the community centers or whatever. But I'm looking at the pictures and this looks like a really fancy event. Yeah. Like, like an actual pop-up shop type I, deal. I think yeah, it's like it a little prestigious because they're yeah. kind of like picking the best of the best in yeah. like local Manitoban f- food and beverages. Now that I think about it, Winnipeg Eats, like the Instagram account, mm-hmm. was live Instagram, like on their live, like their stories, mm-hmm. all like this entire event. And I was like, where are they? Like where is all this good food from? And now I know it was a love local. I think they had like, they had this weird... Um, peanut brittle it looked apparently it was like spicy peanut brittle or something oh, i could be completely good. wrong though huh. but it was like definitely some weird foods that were popping up on my instagram nice live gotta stories. love the weird foods <laughs> yeah but this looks yeah very prestigious yeah where was the event uh that's a good question i remember seeing it but i can't remember where it was oh was it at the victoria inn oh it was okay you guys didn't go though you just you saw it on instagram i wish yeah, it's it's uh it's a little pricey, but mm-hmm. uh, how I mean, much was it? Thirty dollars for entry ticket, and then if you want VIP, it's fifty dollars. Maddie, do you know what you got with VIP entry? <laughs> like, where does that extra twenty dollars go? It goes towards your complimentary cocktail, and uh, <laughs> yeah. half an hour earlier than everyone else admission. Oh, unlimited wow. sampling. So like, it's not like Costco where they cut you off. And cut you uh, off at co- have you gotten cut <laughs> off at Costco? <laughs> like one time. <laughs> one time. <laughs> Story I'm, for another day. <laughs> I, I have never heard of that happening. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, live music, lots of fun. But I think you get that with the regular admission too. It's basically huh. like a full day event. They definitely try to make it worth your while. 
Wow, they're like stretching it like Disneyland where you get you can buy those like free passes and <laughs> it's just you pass. and like you know the only people you can get like the early passes so mm-hmm. you get in like an hour before and everyone else. Everyone gives you the dirty looks as you're like getting in yeah. line because they're like you're cutting. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but considering you get unlimited sampling for fifty dollars from like five to nine PM. <laughs> That's yeah. so many samples. If you have like one favorite booth, you can just stand there all day. Yeah, well, unless supper. they cut you off like at Costco. Yeah. But like free unlimited sampling. Like what? It does say, yeah, you just be like, <laughs> I paid for this in my ticket. I will right. eat my entire meal here. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I could have my supper and my bedtime snack there. Yeah. <laughs> and I imagine too, like, there's lots of breweries. Could you imagine people who are like, free sample, <laughs> yeah. free yeah. sample, <laughs> free sample. Okay. Lots good. of breweries and a distillery. Yeah. Too. It's getting wild if you get that VIP pass. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> oh, they also have that uh, tea mate place you were talking about last time, Maddie. Yeah. They were there. Now that I've learned about it. Yeah, this looks really cool. Yeah, it's something that like I would definitely, if I like made time for it in between schoolwork, I would totally go to this. It sounds like so much fun. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Next year. <laughs> Next year. <laughs> okay, here's our segment. It's time for Manitoba on the menu. On January 12th this year, Winnipeg's Food Council had their first official meeting. A new council to the city is made up of 12 members, including people involved in food business, health sectors, citizens, and community groups. I headed down on Friday, March 9th to sit in on their third meeting and find out the sort of discussion that takes place and what's on their agenda in the future. James Patterson, uh, Bruce Berry, and here on behalf of Farm Manitoba. I'm Sharma, and I'm Community gardens are a frequent topic at the Winnipeg Food Council. Quite a substantial amount of compost just because they're on a program there, and whether um, the city could adopt a policy of letting community gardens access that. And at the last meeting, the council voted on looking into providing free water services to community gardens in the city. So, uh, thank you for that, Bruce. Uh, all those in favor of the motion? Okay, all those in favor? Thank you. Any opposed? This time, the council is voting on getting access to free compost, which is a necessity in successful community gardens. Margot Malabar and Paul Chorney from Food Matters explain why they and many others fought for the food council to be formed. But the basis for, you know, a healthy community is for people to be eating healthy food and in a way that's uh, sustainable for them and, and provides them dignity. Um, and is um, a way that they can relate to. And that food is, uh, and our food system, which we take for granted, is, is much more fragile than, than most people. The Winnipeg Food Council aims to normalize the idea of growing food yourself and fight the idea that food production is solely a rural activity. So I know we talked about this um, a couple episodes ago, um, but the Winnipeg Food Council is um, a new city hall committee. They've had a couple meetings now, mm-hmm. and um, basically they're looking at a large number of things they're looking at. People are actually coming to these meetings and like pitching their ideas on what they think that the food council should focus on. Basically, uh, it had been proposed since 2008 that Winnipeg should have a food council, and it was in the works, in the works, in the works, and finally in January... Uh, for the first time they actually had their first meeting and they have 12 people on the committee Um, and I ended up talking to um, about three of those people on the committee about what the committee is and what it plans to do 
Um, and that is actually what I did for my feature article for Homegrown Magazine. Um, and I talked to um, a man named Bruce Berry. He's the owner of a place called Almost Urban Vegetables located in St. Norbert. So basically they're a um, CSA, um, CSA box gardening farm and they live right outside the city. And so what they do is they give it to, or they supply to um, the St. Norbert's Farmer's Market. They have a setup there. And then they also have another spot like downtown that distributes their CSA boxes as well. But he is also on the Winnipeg Food Council. And so I talked to him and he said that like his main goal for the Food Council is that Winnipeggers will be more aware of the food they can grow in the immediate vicinity of our city. So that's something that we've like also mm. talked about on the podcast and mm-hmm. growing in Zone 3 and um, how people don't really realize just how much you can grow in Winnipeg. Um, and then he ended up telling me, too, he showed me these um, maps of what they can grow in a Russian climate, really similar to ours. And it was just like, just like the rates of the things they can grow. It's like, it's kind of like amazing how it's so similar. We could be getting a lot more growth like throughout the year. Well, throughout the spring, summer, fall. And um, just having more community gardens supplying that in our city, it just totally boosts that part of the mm. community. And that was in Russia, you said? Yeah, it was like a, a Russian town. That's interesting. I didn't know Russia had like such a similar climate. Weren't they to the us? ones that had the like the extreme like winter warning where they got like like snow on their eyelashes or something? Yeah, is that? I mean, I, it's also that? a huge place. That's yeah, true. yeah, but so. I don't know, it's the biggest yeah. country. <laughs> Um, but yeah, he's trying to piece things together. <laughs> basically, the goal is that he wants to normalize the idea that anyone can grow food themselves mm-hmm. and fight the idea that food production is just a rural activity. Hmm. That's really cool. Yeah. So you said they started talking about having the food council like in 2008, so like 10 years ago? Yeah, pretty Whoa. much. I talked to Rob Moquin. He's the policy manager for Food Matters Manitoba. And he's been working, or he had been working towards starting, they call it the WFC, um, Winnipeg Food Council. Mm-hmm. He had been working on starting it since 2016, but he told me that he went back in their records, and the earliest time they had, like, first brought up was in 2008, and it had literally just been, like, an ongoing challenge since, and that's why he, he's also on the food, um, or the Winnipeg Food Council, too. He's actually the vice, oh, what is it, the vice chairperson. Um, because he's just been like so passionate about bringing it to the city. Mm -hmm. Is there a reason why it took them? Like, do you know why it took them so long? (laughs) I kind of, I kind of just think it's like it was on the back burner. Yeah, and food, whatever. So many people have to agree to so many different things. Yeah, from meeting to meeting to meeting. Um, Look for them. But yeah, he said um, he, him, and I kind of talked about how there's now a desire for food councils in other parts of Canada as well. So, like, um, Montreal is the latest city to be putting together a food council. He thinks that there's a need for the food councils at a national level, and so currently the Canadian government is consulting with Canadians to create a policy called the Food Policy for Canada, um, which has been set by Justin Trudeau as, like, a requirement to the Canada's agriculture minister Mm -hmm. that uh, we need to get some sort of, like, food policy going. So Montreal is trying to get one, and I said, like, what... Why now? Like, why do so many cities feel like they should have a food policy council or, like, a a food council? And, uh, yeah, he just kind of agreed that, like, food security organizations are kind of fighting for there to be um, 
a mandatory food council in every city. And, uh, yeah, and he had asked him, like, what kind of stuff are they going to be doing for this year, for the rest of the year? And he said that they're developing a work plan, and there's a subcommittee, and they're coming up with, like, a bunch of suggestions on what to work on. So then it basically goes down from, like, committee to committee to committee. and uh, But they do right now want to work on um, providing free water services to community gardens in Winnipeg, mm-hmm. which is a pretty big concern. Yeah, I think, we, I think we talked about that. Maybe on like our first episode yeah, yeah, of the briefly. podcast. Yeah, that's really interesting because that's not like it makes sense that obviously gardens need a lot of water yeah, to maintain, but it's like not you something often I'm, overlook. Yeah, you're like well, and like when you think of community gardens too, like it's when you think of your own garden at home, you know, maybe you have like a hose and that's your like, or you like fill the watering can in the sink and you go out. But like mm-hmm. when you're at a community garden and your plot is like the furthest away from that water tank. Oh, yeah. And like maybe they don't even have enough water for every plot of garden when it's like a mm. really dry heat. It's like definitely not a free service right now. And it's definitely not an easily accessible service. Yeah. Do you know if they had anything involvement to do with the like beekeeping zoning bylaws? Like it, it can now happen in uh, in a, like the core area of the city. I'm not sure if that was them. I think that was decided before they like had their first meeting okay. in January. So I think that was like a different committee that made that decision. Right. Um, but I'm sure they'll be dealing with like similar issues going forward. Yeah. I just had a couple friends who got summer jobs because of that bylaw. They're beekeeping in the oh, city. So. That's so cool. Yeah. Would right. you ever take a job as a beekeeper? I think that would be fun, yeah. Would you guys? I don't know that I would. I have never been stung. I feel like I have this. I've never been stung yet. I'm so afraid And I'm not stung. interested in doing yeah. that. Yeah. Yeah. But don't they wear like those big like suits yeah wouldn't that be is really that, hot is that, in is that in my mind or like no they <laughs> okay, okay. Feel like they, they don't actually wear them um, the hell? They, what? Just, they just wear a wide-brimmed uh hat so the rest of their body wide-brimmed hat yeah at like, any moment does that does the hat have like that mesh thing around it like um, on tv i don't know if it actually does like they just apparently the bees don't really actually sting as much as you'd think wow i guess that's wasps so um <laughs> yeah you can <laughs> They just wear this wide-brimmed hat, and apparently it kind of just it does the trick. I don't know what about it. Well, I guess it's like they're not aggressively like swatting at them either. Yeah, like, exactly. Trying to get them away. People, they do they get stung though, but um, it's only like dangerous after you get stung like thirty times or whatever. So <laughs> only after thirty times. Uh, the first couple of times it's just painful. Uh huh. Do that, you get used to it? <laughs> you get used to it. Oh my goodness. I've been uh, I've been stung quite a few times. Oh. Tree planting, but uh, never all at once. So, mm-hmm. yeah. I was like picturing the beekeepers like fully wearing hazmat suits. Yeah. Mm-hmm. See? That yeah. was just they literally just wear a hat. Which is all yeah. fun and games until one of the bees gets in your hazmat suit. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay guys, I gotta tell you about the the feature article that I did. Mm-hmm. Um, so this is again to remind everyone our listeners, this podcast is accompanying our magazine that we're launching in april and um my feature for the magazine was about good food club it's um it's an initiative in west broadway it's run out of west broadway community organization essentially they they have um they have they provide uh, local food to the the neighborhood so it's a a very uh traditionally poor neighborhood Mm -hmm. they um 
have like their the average income in West Broadway is like half it's less than half the the average income of the rest of the city oh wow and um so they bring like they a lot of them can't afford um local food or fresh food even like healthy food so they this initiative out of West Broadway community organization brings that to them they have um, the, the the thing that I found the, the most interesting is they have these farm trips where they bring people to a farm. It's called Buys Home Farm um, outside the city, and they can they work on the farm for like um, a a day, pretty much. Just oh, like so the people go to the farm. The people and go to the farm. farm themselves. Yeah, so they're actually like watering, weeding, harvesting. Nice. And That's awesome. um, by volunteering for them, the the Buys Home Farm gives them a nice meal. And they they also give them these things called sweat equity points. That's what the Good Food Club does. So then the the sweat equity points um, are they can use them to get uh, local and healthy food at a at a reduced price. Oh, nice! So um, they have like a farmers market every week, and these people can go to the farmers market and pick up their food for like very cheap. It's like it's like um, normally I, th- I think they. They'll like say they'll have like twenty five dollars of um, food at value, and then they can, if you don't have any sweat points, you can just get them for twenty bucks. But if you did um, volunteer, then I think it's like two hours of volunteering, you'll get it for four bucks. So oh wow, wow. that's yeah. a huge cool. difference. And it's not just the going to the farm trips; they also just helping out at the market counts. You get points there. Oh, so you get sweat? What are sweat points? The sweat points, yeah. By like sweat just any points. form of volunteering for the club yeah it's and it's really cool because a lot of these people they um it's kind of they say it's demeaning to go to a food bank like um like one lady i talked to she was on welfare um and her kids were she she had kids and she had to go to the food bank and she was like crying at the bus stop because it's demeaning to have to do that um and someone came up to her and just said, hey, like asked her what was going on. And they told her about Good Food Club. Nice. And uh, it, it really turned her life around because she was able to um, start volunteering there and getting those sweat points. And then um, she learned, She actually, I think she started out by going on the farm trip. So she learned what fresh, healthy food and organic food was on the farm because they also do a tour and show mm-hmm. them. Mm-hmm. And she didn't even know what that meant, organic, before that. Yeah. Um, uh, so yeah, it's really changed. And now she says like, she, uh, just she only eats the the healthy organic food because it's so much. Uh, she just likes the taste that much yeah. more. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, that's so awesome. Like, what a great way to keep that like keep that going, and then also like give back to the community at the same time. No kidding. That's that's amazing. Yeah. So is the you said it started in West Broadway, the Good Food Club. Hmm. Is it like can people from other areas of the city participate? I think so. Yeah, they. Um, I think it's generally people who are like um, in the area, but mm-hmm. they're like the the people who are part of this are from all walks of life. Like, there's when I, like I was there for a couple hours during their their mini market in the winter, mm-hmm. and just like yeah, people of very different incomes walking through the doors. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, it it really is for anybody. That's awesome. And so, mm-hmm. what do they do in like the winter months? Like, as it was opposed to, like, because obviously there's probably so much more work to do in the summer. 
Yeah, so they have, like, during the summer, they have, like, the actual farmer's market going on outside. Yeah. Um, it's, like, the West Broadway Farmer's Market. But, um, yeah, during the winter, they they just have this mini market. Um, and they, they have cooking classes throughout the winter um, and, um, like, canning classes, like, how to, how to preserve food and stuff. Oh, nice. Um, so kind of, like, giving these workshops to... Um, they say like when they're locked in the win- uh, inside over the winter, that's when they're like learning how to use all the food. Mm-hmm. So because um, they don't want to just provide people with this food, but they also they also include recipes with the food they give them, so um, they can make uh, good meals with them. And um, yeah, it's it's a really cool initiative. It's mm-hmm. basically this whole lifestyle initiative. Yeah. And like, that's awesome. Mm. I wish I knew how to cook. <laughs> <laughs> Do what? What would you normally cook, Gina? Or would you like? Could you do like KD or anything? Or I could do that. Yeah, I can yeah. make like pasta. Oh my god! <laughs> <laughs> but it's a slow progress. I'm learning. Yeah. <laughs> Easy to follow recipes. Yeah, Maddie, do you cook much? I do. Yeah, yeah. I like to cook. Uh, my favorite thing to do in the summer is like when you get like the good haul from the garden. Like you have like a lot, <laughs> and then you like cook it all up in like a big meal the best oh yeah see like starting our magazine it like definitely put me like it got me interested in like understanding how to cook like these wholesome meals and stuff Mm -hmm. because like yeah like (laughs) before i was like okay mcdonald's blah blah blah, fast food or like just the typical katie but i was like like uh, my brother and i started meal prepping this year so it's just like finding the right ingredients that are actually healthy for you and using manitoba made ones or just like it just makes you feel good but also like knowing that you help give back to the the larger community of Manitoba and it just like makes your food that much more rewarding yeah mm-hmm. yeah so like learning how to cook and for helping others is just you know a good time and <laughs> even like if you like make a big meal but you have like one like local Manitoba and like ingredient that you use that's really fun too like there's this smack dab makes this um like jalapeno honey mustard Mm -hmm. and i will like sneak it into like little recipes and it's so good (laughs) so like finding little things like that's really fun too yeah oh yeah they that place makes like a bunch of different mustards right like that's their thing yeah you can get like um i think even grocery stores sell like a multi-pack of like the testing like test all like the flavors kind of like the variety pack oh nice Mm -hmm. and then once you have a favorite then you can just buy that one but they're so good and they like go perfect on so many things just adds that little spot, like a little extra flavoring. Yeah, depending on what you're cooking. Yeah, yeah. So, Caitlin, what was your feature like? <laughs> um, so, I actually did a story about newcomer gardening initiatives in Winnipeg. Cool. Uh, so, I talked to this guy at. Have you guys heard of, of EARCOM, the yes. Immigrant yep. and Refugee Community Organization of Manitoba? Yeah. Uh, so they have this program there that they've been doing since 2007 called the Newcomer Greening Program. And basically, I don't know if you know what their buildings look like, but it's these big sort of tall like apartment buildings, and they have several really big balconies, like I think yeah. a thousand square feet of balconies. Oh wow! That they that. don't really they were like before 2007 they weren't really using them for anything. Okay. So I talked to this guy that uh, his name's Jim Becta, and he's been working there since then. He's actually almost retired now but he's still kind of helping out there Mm because he started the program oh wow but he said he really noticed among like a lot of the newcomers he was working with at earcom 
that there was a big gap in people being able to access not only like healthy foods but like culturally specific foods like the kind of food that they're used to eating before they come to Canada yeah especially if you are from somewhere that has like a hugely different climate to Winnipeg like if you come from somewhere that like doesn't have winter oh that's the biggest shift yeah it's huge yeah Uh, so he decided to start the greening program there which is basically they have these like plastic containers and it's just container gardening like the whole space of the all the balconies yeah so they split it up into I think he said when they started it was like 16 different plots so people could apply and they would choose 16 people and at first everyone got to do it but as it got like more popular Mm -hmm. they had to sort of uh, choose who got a spot every year because not everyone can garden uh, if there's more than 16 applicants so they started to prioritize like people with families or like single mothers and people like that who maybe needed it more yeah than others um, but yeah he and he said like not only it wasn't only people wanting to have access to like healthy food and being able to grow it themselves but it was also just like gardening had a really big emotional impact for people especially if that was something they were used to doing at home before they moved to Canada yeah like he was telling me about um one woman that he showed like she applied for the greening program and got a spot so he brought her up to the balcony to show her like this is where you'll be gardening like just to show her she wasn't going to start yet because it was still early in the year and she just like got on the ground and like started digging with her hands and like was just ready to go yeah and he was like yeah I just really saw that like people have that connection to the soil and like that passion for growing um it's really cool and there's also like other I talked to someone from Food Matters Manitoba which we've like kind of talked about on the podcast before I think Mm -hmm. um but they kind of work with programs like this and they're because there's been such a huge increase in immigrants in Canada and in, in Winnipeg as well in the last few years there's also been a huge shift in organizations like reaching out and wanting to learn more about how they can implement these kind of programs yeah um so i also talked to someone from the seven oak school division their immigrant services uh group they have there and they've also started doing gardening programs so i actually like a week or two ago they had a workshop where they were uh they had those little like you know this plastic like they look like egg cartons almost but they're big and they're for gardening Yep. So you mm-hmm. can, like, do a seed oh, in yes, each yes. one kind of thing, yeah. and then you put the plastic cover over top just to grow inside so it, like, traps, like, the heat and humidity or whatever. Mm-hmm. So you can, like, grow the, the uh, seedlings inside until they're big enough that you can transplant them outside. Because yeah. if you were to put them outside now, well, like, not now now because there's <laughs> snow, <laughs> but even sometimes when it's springtime, you can't start immediately because, like, if there's, like, a frost, everything yeah. will die. Yeah. Um, so they showed them how to do that, and they started with onion seeds because that's one that you can start like pretty early in the year. Yep. And they'll be mm-hmm. fine. Uh, Maddie's like, yeah, I know all this. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, it was really cool though, and people were super into it. And, like it was a group of not, I think it was nineteen uh, people who all came from Syria, oh, and okay. most of them is it was actually a lot of men, which I found surprising. Oh, cool. A lot of Syrian men that were really really interested in gardening and. Um, and it was something that they had, like, done in Syria. Some of them did it as, like, a career, so they're wanting to do that here as well. Mm-hmm. Like, there was one man that had a bakery in Syria, and he's, like, wanting to start that here as well. And so he's wanting to, like, learn how to garden and get all this land and, like, have people grow, like, the wheat and stuff and everything for him. So he's able to, like, start this whole oh, wow. business whole again. Yeah. Nice. Yeah, it's really interesting. Um, so, yeah, that's sort of, like, some of the stuff that I did. Oh, I also talked to... Um, 
this man named Babatunde, who came to Canada in 2012 from Nigeria, and he and his wife came, and they both have PhDs in agriculture. Nice. So they're, like, very into wow. gardening and, like, th- like uh, just agriculture. Well, and, like, researching, like, different kinds of plants and stuff. What brought him to Canada? Uh, he... I'm not totally sure, actually. He studied in Nigeria and then went to a few different schools in Europe, like in the Netherlands, and then came to Canada in 2012. So, yeah, I'm not sure exactly what, um, but he started working with people at, in Portage La Prairie, it's called the Canada-Manitoba Crop Diversification Centre. Wait, sorry, did he, wait, he started that, or... He started working with people. Oh, he started working with people. Yeah. Okay. So when he came here in 2012, he started working there. And then the next year, he proposed the project he's working on now, which is like introducing world crops into Canada. So things that like don't normally grow here. So he he started like, for example, with plants from Nigeria, like okra and amaranth. It's a lot of like leafy greens, similar to spinach. Yeah. And uh, yeah, there were a couple of things where he would tell me what it was. And I'm like, okay, what's like something comparable so I can like like yeah. sort of picture what you're talking about and he's like oh well it's basically like you'd call it spinach here and i was like okay cool what's another <laughs> one and he's like yeah this one too it's it's also another kind of spinach. <laughs> they have other stuff too but like the the leafy greens the spinach like things yeah. are the ones that have been doing really well hmm. nice so is there like a market for those things then there is yeah and that's sort of st- uh, something they're just starting to look into now because initially it was just to see if it was even viable to grow those plants in this kind of climate and uh, now that they found that it is, they're looking at things like value addition and like bringing it to market and being able to like introduce that into the market. Because he said like, yeah, newcomers would be interested in these plants, but also like everyone is so interested in like eating healthy now and like learning about new things. And these are really like nutritionally dense vegetables. Yeah. So he's like, we definitely see um, like that there would be a market and that there would be an interest for it among Canadians as well. So I thought that was really cool, too that there's so many people doing this kind of work in uh, Winnipeg. Mm. Yeah. I like how you say that a lot of um, <laughs> families um, used to do it back home and like they, they don't really have the outlet to do it in Winnipeg when they first come because they just don't know where to start. Mm-hmm. So I have a family friend whose grandpa, I guess her family was here first and then they kind of got their their grandpa to come follow them after. And he was just really bored all the time where he looked, like apparently he would just sit at home all day and look out the window and not know what to do and they they were really concerned about what to do with him and like how to properly I guess get him comfortable in Canada or in Winnipeg so they basically they had to wait after winter so this he came during winter which is like probably the worst time to come from the Philippines if you're living in a hot climate all the time they eventually got him to start gardening in their backyard basically just starting off with flowers and stuff and the basic things that you can buy it at Home Depot or something at garden centers and then eventually they start they started introducing him to like seeds and stuff and he apparently has like this the entire backyard is just his whole garden and like no one's allowed to go in it and like no one's allowed to like touch it unless they have like his her grandpa's approval of like yeah this is where you can go this is mm-hmm. what you can touch this is what you can grab so basically it's, it's become his home his home his like own little passion project of a gardening and farm like farming in quotations huh. That's yeah. cool. and like it helped really boost his morale as like as his purpose in winnipeg and coming to canada canada to be with his family wow. so i definitely agree that it helps new immigrants and newcomers um find their sense of home 
one yeah. day. The Winnipeg Food Council will be pumped. That's exactly what they <laughs> want to happen. Yeah, yeah. That's like that's pretty similar to um, I talked to this woman named Fran, who is the director at the Seven Oaks Immigrant Services, mm-hmm. and so that's one of the groups I was talking about that is like starting these uh, newcomer gardening programs. And yeah. she said um, that specifically, like some of the Syrian men that were at the workshop, she said that they like worked really hard where they're from and then they come here and they don't feel like they're contributing because their language isn't strong enough like they they aren't they don't speak english well enough yet to be able to immediately join the workforce yeah so they sort of are like in limbo where like they want to work but they there isn't really like a place for them to do that yeah um so it like she said it's not just about food there's so many other things that come along with it because you sort of give them that like sense of purpose that you were talking about yeah where you're able to like like really take ownership of something mm-hmm. over a project and you're like so proud like they're so proud of their work after because like they were able to start from beginning to end and be able to produce for their family or to those that you know need that extra help or whatever mm-hmm. so it's yeah yeah like at the workshop i was at there was someone from food matters there who was like presenting on like the different kinds of plants you can grow and like like i was saying onions are good to start really early in the season but there's mm-hmm. ones that you shouldn't start till later uh, and so they were sort of going over those dates and, like, based on where you're growing them in Manitoba, what the best time is to, like, plant them inside and then to transplant them outside into your garden. Nice. Um, and they also, like, everyone was from Syria, so they also had a translator there who translated the whole workshop into Arabic. Oh, that's oh, super cool. Yeah. Mm. It was really cool. Yeah, and everyone is there, like, taking notes mm-hmm. and, like, really... <laughs> it's like studying. Like, really into it, yeah. That would have been a really neat experience to just witness. It was. It was really cool, yeah. And I was actually... I was there taking photos as well, and I was kind of worried when I showed up because, like, you never... Like, some people are, like, kind of, like, not super into having their photos taken. Yeah. yeah. So I wasn't sure how it would go. And people were, like, coming up to me, and, like, some of them would ask in English, but some of them, like, their English, I guess, wasn't that great so they would just sort of like point at me at the camera and the camera and be like hey can you like take our photos and we're like posing (laughs) and smiling and yeah they they seemed like really excited to be there it seemed like a really cool program that's awesome yeah and I was also reading um there was this report from Food Matters Manitoba about newcomer experiences in Winnipeg Mm-hmm. It was from a few years ago. It was from 2014, um, but it's it presented like some pretty broad patterns that would like suggest it's still that way. And this was specifically about newcomers in the North End, and it found that when newcomers arrive in Canada, they're actually generally healthier than the average Canadian is. Like they have really excellent food skills, and they really yeah <laughs> nice. Uh, and it's a phenomenon they refer to as the healthy immigrant effect. But they also often experience a decline in overall health as they adapt to a more, like, Western diet. Like oh, the kind of food they're just not here. used to it. They're not used to it, yeah. And it's a diet that's really high in, like, fat, sugar, and salt, which they're also not used to. And those are things that, like, if you don't know how to, like, consume them in appropriate amounts, they're yeah. not good for you. Yeah. Um, so that can also lead to an increased risk of, like, certain chronic diseases and mental health issues. For immigrants, so they often experience, like, a pretty steep decline in health. Um, and that can also result in increased costs for, like, health care and social services in Canada at large. Um, but the same report also found that there's, like, a number of things that can help newcomers avoid these health outcomes. And one of them specifically that they named are these kinds of gardening programs mm-hmm. that we've been talking about where they can not only, like, grow foods that are good for them and like learn about how to do that in a new climate but also like growing foods they're familiar with yeah and like finding foods they're familiar with because they like the person I spoke to at Food Matters said that newcomers often tell them that they find it difficult to find some of their like familiar foods yeah um and like when they go to the grocery store the 
foods look a little bit different than the things that they're used to yeah so they're not totally sure about like what's good for you or like what I'm even looking for so like some of these programs also will do like field trips where they'll like go with a group of newcomers to the grocery store and sort of like show them outside of a classroom setting like what kind of things they're talking about and like how to especially if like you aren't great at reading English or like like looking at it itself Yeah. yeah yeah being able to understand uh, like what you're looking at and what you're looking for they'll be like oh that is what spinach actually is yeah <laughs> exactly there's apparently like a million different kinds of spinach who knew that also reminds <laughs> me of like when my grandma came from the philippines mm-hmm. she was very strong and like um but i guess our family was just so busy and being active and like just being in and out of the house that we didn't um we didn't really account for helping my grandma like settle into canada as, as well so a lot of the time all she would want to eat was like mcdonald's or like fast food chains that she knew were familiar from the philippines because mm. they were just so prominent like all over the world and like she was uncomfortable like eating i guess some other things that we would have like pasta or like yeah like the things in restaurants so we had to really pick and choose like where we ate a lot of the time and like to really learn to like slow our days down and really have time for family meals so that we can buy these groceries that are specifically Filipino for her to cook for us Mm. and then give her that sense of like, you know, she's getting that nutritional value that she got back home. And like, we didn't really, we weren't accustomed to in Canada. So bringing her traditional cooking styles from the Philippines back into into our home in Winnipeg was very different because like, it was a lot of greens and vegetables as opposed to like meats and like um, other heavier food items and like carbs and stuff. So it was like this refreshing thing, like you don't really think about, but like you mm-hmm. said, like there's this quick decline in like their in their health because they don't know what to eat. And like, I guess people don't often, I guess, well, for our family, we didn't take the time to really consider what she was needing for her body and like the change. So when we finally took the time to like take her to the grocery store and to the Asian food markets and stuff and get her the foods that she was familiar with was huh. when she started to become happier and like more excited to eat again. Cause she, for the longest time, she just wouldn't want to eat and was like, no, I don't know what that is. Like, I don't know what's in it. Mm-hmm. And like for breakfast, she would just eat avocado or whatever and like toast because that was what was most familiar to her until mm, we started taking her to like, yeah. <laughs> but like if that was all she was eating, it was yeah, like not good at the same yeah. time. Mm-hmm. So we had to like take care of what we were buying and taking her with us to show like this is you recognize this this is from the philippines or whatever this is from asia and like the fil- the food you have in the philippines is we do have it here as well you just need to find it that's interesting about how the, a lot of newcomers are a lot healthier i'm not um, i'm not that surprised though yeah. well i guess I, I i know a lot of newcomers and i know that they're a lot stronger and mm-hmm. their food quality is like a lot different than what we have in canada yeah. in yeah. terms of fats yeah hmm. so Probably part of it is like I like I've heard of like a lot of the oldest people in the world are Chinese or like mm-hmm. they live in like these villages where they like s- they steam a lot of their fruit food and not fry it. Yeah. So maybe that like that probably has something to play w- into it and like also the maybe more active lifestyle they have like they're just generally like w- walking around doing things or like yeah uh, I don't know. But I didn't know that after they come to Canada, there's this de- like this major decrease in like their health. Mm-hmm. Like, well, it's not all the time, but enough of the time that, that it's, it's noticeable. Yeah. yeah, definitely. And it also uh, like the woman I spoke to from Seven Oaks Immigrant Services said that like the that was partially why they wanted to start that kind of programming there for their newcomers. But it it also had to do with like food security and like complex poverty challenges. Yeah, where like she was saying because it's in Seven Oaks, which is like 
Maples Garden City kind of area, mm-hmm. North Winnipeg. Yeah. Um, and she said, like, for the people in that immediate area, there's a Safeway there, which is, like, a few blocks away. It's, like, walking distance, but it's a little further. But oh, there's yeah, also, it's near my house. Yeah, there's, <laughs> there's like, also, what? like, a giant tiger there, Yeah, which is way closer and especially if you, like, don't have a car and you have to carry all your stuff. She said a lot of the people that they work with end up just going to Giant Tiger. Yeah, yeah they're she, very close to each other. Yeah, yeah, but I guess the people that um, go to the programming they offer live closer to Giant Tiger. Mm-hmm. So she said even though they're pretty close because they often, like, don't know, like, the differences between, like, good and bad foods. Oh, yeah. They'll just go to Giant Tiger and end up buying, like, a lot of processed foods yeah. and not buying vegetables and things like that. So that was sort of why they wanted to offer those programs to, like, show people how they could, like, make different choices mm-hmm. and, like, show them also how to, like, access foods that they're, like, more familiar with. Nice. From before they came to yeah. Canada. Yeah, I thought it was really interesting. And I also, like didn't realize that newcomers often come to Canada in such like with such good food skills but like when you hear when you hear like broken down it's like yeah that makes sense if they're used to eating a lot of like different kinds of vegetables that are really like nutritionally dense yeah that totally makes sense Mm -hmm. when you guys were in high school did you guys eat at your school cafeterias or did you guys have school cafeterias first of all I had a school cafeteria, but I didn't. I didn't really eat at it. Actually, I mean, maybe like every once in a while when I like forgot my lunch, but like not. the rare occasions. Yeah. 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 Well, I had one, but it was more like almost like a canteen. Okay. Kind of thing. Yeah. Um, and I also like occasionally ate there. Like I remember they had pretty good breakfast sandwiches, mm-hmm. but I usually tried to like bring a lunch to school. Yeah. Okay, I'm really jealous. I never had any of these things. We really? did not have. Where, <laughs> where did you go to high school? In Lorette, so in the country. Whoa. Oh. Okay. But uh, yeah, no, we had no cafeteria, no, no like breakfast sandwiches. Did you like leave school to go to like a fast food chain or no, something? No, like basically they just put there was no fast food chain. Oh. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> Like basically, they just put a bunch of tables in the gym, and then people just brought their own oh, lunches. Oh, okay. And then, like, <laughs> once a month, they would be like, pizza day. Oh, that's awesome. Did you yeah. guys go out for, like, lunches or whatever? If, like, you like you brought a lunch where you're like, oh, your mm. friends are like, want to go out to get blah, 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 and then you would just go? I would sometimes go. I went to Garden City, and they have mom's pierogies. Oh, yes. Like, right across yeah, the street. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so I would sometimes go get pierogies. But mm-hmm. that also was, like, pretty rare. Yeah. It would be you. We Luke. had, like... Miles Mac is where I went, and they they're like in a not a very good location for food. Um, in terms okay. of like, there's like a pizza place that's pretty expensive nearby. Okay. Family Foods is kind of nearby, so we um, we went there. Junior high was lit. Like we went to uh, <laughs> we went to the, they had Sobeys, McDicks, and like a uh, bunch of other places. Yeah, which yeah. Were like like heaven for junior high kids, but um, yeah. Oh, that's interesting. Because when I was in high school, um. I often <laughs> use the cafeteria. Like, I never brought lunches. Mm-hmm. And, okay. like, a lot of the time, I felt like there weren't healthy alternatives at my in, in my school cafeteria. So I went to St. Mary's, and a lot of the times it was just, like, those quick meals that you can get. Like, oh, like, chicken Caesar wraps or whatever, like, hash browns or, like, those pastas that, like, those prepackaged pastas or whatever. At the moment, you think they're, like, okay, well, I, have a, I finally have a lunch. Like, that's fine. So my feature article is basically how schools are trying to implement farm to cafeteria within their educational institutions and what farm to cafeteria is instead of buying food from larger corporations or, or producers they buy it from farmers or like what we've been talking about like supporting local initiatives and 
farmers and vendors. And what I found out was that schools spend approximately five million on annual food purchases, which is a lot of money. A lot of that has been not healthy purchases. They kind of just find whatever is most convenient for them because they come in like pre-packaged like um, sales or things that they can offer. Like these corporations or producers can offer larger institutions at a cheaper price and in larger bulks, if that makes sense. Mm. Yeah, so basically what my feature was trying to discover was what educational institutions in Winnipeg are trying to implement farm to cafeteria or are offering food programs within their school programming to educate students about locally produced foods or sustainable living options. And from what I found, there are actually quite a few. There are 138 schools in Manitoba engaging in school food activities. And I found that from Farm to Cafeteria Canada. And these school activities include like home ec classes using like in the actual cooking classes itself, they use Manitoba made products or they teach about um, sourcing, like where to source these foods. And they have school gardens they actually have garden clubs or they offer these little initiatives within their school to have school gardens and stuff yeah like community gardens at school like they invite people to come and sell their products or whatever or they just help raise awareness about what these vendors and farmers do and how they sell their food and stuff who actually in their cafeterias have farmed cafeteria Mm -hmm. but not a lot do so my article was to push or was to show that it's possible to have farm to cafeteria and it actually benefits the students as well. So one of the biggest leading post-secondary institutions that have high levels of local sustainable purchasing options is the University of Winnipeg at Diversity Foods Mm -hmm. Services. A lot of their products are Manitoban made and they implement a lot of their a lot of these products and the foods they offer students. And I was talking to Kristen Godbout. She's like the the manager of diversity foods and helps and was like the one that coordinates everything and I was talking to her and she said something that really or that really stuck out to me actually she said healthy eating is key to attention span emotional control development fatigue and problem solving our minds and bodies need real fuel to do their best work so like when you think about it like when you eat a lot of fast food or a lot of junk food after you kind of have that crash right and you You just can't focus as much and like Mm -hmm. you're just very groggy or whatever and she was saying how like by by giving students these healthy options and foods that are like less in fat or whatever less in um all of these chemicals or whatever in their foods it helps them to actually be more attentive and be more mindful of what they're learning about and just be more focused yeah and like it's something that's often overlooked because like Oh, you're like, oh, it's just food. And like, they don't even care about what they eat to begin with. And like, that may be true. But if schools are the starting point for where kids learn stuff, like why not teach them about what the foods they eat as well? Yeah. Leela North School, um, in their programs, they actually teach about local produce and stuff as well. And they have like this nutrition policy about like what kind of foods their kids are allowed to bring for lunch. And like, it has to be like, they're like very strict on like healthy alternatives. And like, I think in terms of like candy and stuff, there's a limit or I can't entirely remember, but Mm -hmm. I know they have strict guidelines as to what is considered like uh, nutritional food options for their kids to bring for lunch. And Food Matters Manitoba um, uses diversity food services as a model to for other schools to model themselves after. And another school that does this is Sisler High School. And it's funny because I asked a lot of my friends at like that have gone to Sisler or at Sisler right now if they know that their food is locally produced 
and a lot of them don't and a lot of them often just go to mcdonald's or like 7-eleven that's like close to their school or whatever and like it's just because like it's not their first thing to come to mind when they think about the food basically i was talking to um kirsten so she's an executive manager that's her proper title of diversity food services she says frankly if we're putting garbage into our children's mouths we shouldn't be surprised when we get garbage back out and not just for children think of what healthy food healthy real food can do in hospitals nursing homes and prisons and you never really think about that because like prisons yeah Mm -hmm. so it's just implementing these farm to cafeteria or farm to table these things just affect your over, like people's overall well-being and like just their health in general. Mm-hmm. So I talked to a nutritionist called, uh, her name is Charity Hanslet. She says, most millennials identify with the foods they eat. And I think it's pretty evident in the age of, like in the age of Instagram and sharing your food. But that's not all they're concerned with. They're also concerned about how much their food costs, their concerns about the environment and mental health aspects. Mm-hmm. And she was saying how like there's a lot of research, research going into mental health and how the foods they eat eat affect that and I guess it comes to back back to what you were saying Caitlin about how the food newcomers eat affects like their overall well-being and their mental health Mm -hmm. so it just really it just shows that the food you eat really affects how you perform at school or wherever you are and like your overall well-being like I really hope to see schools really implementing this within their educational institutions because like, like Kirsten said put garbage into your students you're just gonna get garbage out Cool, Gina. So, do you have a a food quiz for us, Maddie? I do have a food quiz. Yes. Yes. So, I want to remind you guys that I went... uh, You did not. I literally answered all of them correctly. No, you didn't. I I was listening to it. You got one wrong. Well, I I thought I did at least, so uh, that's okay. It's okay. If you think that, I'll let you think that. (laughs) Was it like five out of six? Unless I'm wrong. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I also re-listened to it, but uh, I don't know. Anyways. Okay, so, I might be wrong. It's it's really early. I'll just have to <laughs> like, prove not myself again. Yeah, we'll see how you do this time. I'll challenge you this time. Yeah. <laughs> okay, so true or false? There is a type of fruit that can grow up to a hundred pounds. True. 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 That was very fast. Okay, yes, it is true. <laughs> I, I it, didn't want to be wrong. <laughs> <laughs> it's called the jackfruit, and it's in the fig category of fruits, and it grows in Southeast Asia. But they won't eat it because they think it's like. A dirty fruit so they, what, they really? actually won't eat it there but other people it's like a really unique and oh i was gonna say to my them. family loves jackfruit yeah <laughs> apparently like, what? we don't eat it apparently some of the people there like refuse to eat it huh. okay interesting, interesting. Huh. yeah so true or false there is a type of fruit filled with chocolate pudding oh. false wait a fruit mm-hmm like they fill it with their. Gr- it was grown. Well, no. How is it grown like that? There's nothing grown like that. Yeah, yeah. I'm sure they. I'm just going with my first instinct. <laughs> on this one. I'm gonna false. say false. Damn it! I'm gonna say false. Okay, it's true, oh, but in the kind of true category. Oh, what is God. kind okay. of true? So, so actually, it is a type of persimmon called black sapote, and then AKA chocolate pudding fruit. Um, it has insides that look and taste identical to chocolate pudding. Oh. <laughs> okay. So it's like a gooey inside that looks like pudding, and apparently it tastes like it too. Wow, that's crazy. I like. I'm. I feel like I'd be too scared to try that. But I would love to try that. that sounds great. <laughs> I feel like I'd have a lot of questions. Yeah. About like, texture why does this taste like blah, chocolate? Blah. <laughs> okay. Um, this is a, a multiple choice question. Apples can be stored in the cold for. A, up to six months, B, up to three months, 
C, up to three weeks, or D, up to one year? Hmm. I say C. I say three months, whatever that was. I'm going to say six months. The answer is D, one year. Damn. Wow. <laughs> so there's, not one yeah, year. <laughs> there's this way that they um, control the atmosphere storage now, so they can actually put the apples to sleep, and they can be asleep for 6 to 12 months, and they can be that old before you actually buy them in the grocery what? store. For those listening, Maddie's doing the air quotations. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, you can... They could put them to sleep? Yeah, they actually put them to and sleep. some of the apples are one year old? So yeah, next time you think you're getting a fresh gala apple, that could be a one-year-old apple. Wow. What? <laughs> Crazy. Huh. Um, or you can get an Arctic apple, the GMO bread apple, the dough brown. <laughs> if you cut it open, leave it, it will not even brown. That's so, so that could suspicious. Be, Maybe, could yeah. I wonder how many years they could be. Probably has like a five-year shelf life or something. Oh my gosh. <laughs> Okay, another question. There's no option. You should make your guess. What is the most popular grown fruit in the world? Mangoes. Oh. Uh, <laughs> um, tomato. Oh, that's smart. Darn. <laughs> I don't know. I kind of... I was going to say something like mangoes. We can share our answer. <laughs> no, I'll say apples. <laughs> Okay, well, Luke was right. It is actually oh, tomatoes. Wow. Uh, and they are made up of 94.5% water, and they just grow That's basically so all water. over the world, pretty much. <laughs> and that makes them the most popular fruit. Wow. Uh, Not surprised, though. Another similar question. What was the first vegetable grown in outer space? Mm. Potato. I don't know. This is hard. Maddie, I want only multiple choice questions. <laughs> I only like true or false. Yes. I'm going to go with potato as well. Uh, I'm gonna say onions. It was potato. Yeah. What? I was thinking of the movie The Martian. I thought that because she said it was a similar question on like tomato and potato sounds. Uh, <laughs> what? That's so awesome. Yeah, in, in, well, uh, rhyme. in 1995, NASA and the University of Wisconsin they collaborated and grew the first ever Wisconsin. vegetable in space. Wow. That's crazy. So you can thank Wisconsin for that. Thank you, Wisconsin. Thanks for nothing, Wisconsin. <laughs> I got that wrong. <laughs> Okay, and so last question. Um, it's kind of a weird one, but so there are watermelons in Japan that grow in the shape of squares, like complete cubes. What? Um, why do they grow them what in the shape of squares? Uh, is it like easier for like packing them and stuff? I was going to say, yeah, easier for storage. <laughs> I have no answer. <laughs> it is so that they can fit very comfortably in the in fridge. In the fridge? <laughs> huh. Yeah. Let's so are kind of, yeah, you guys How are do right. they make them grow in squares? They grow them in boxes, and the like, watermelons just take the shape of the container as they Whoa. grow. Are you so planning maybe... on growing watermelon, watermelons, Maddie? <laughs> I've tried, but... Oh, I was like, you should I'm, put them in I boxes. I might try again. Yeah. So I can get any shape watermelon. Maybe they're technically liquids, then. That's they so weird. Like, their hard the exterior just takes the shape of whatever is... container. Huh. <laughs> They are watermelons. True. I'm just so. kidding. I'm taking this too far. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, that is all I have for I did terrible this, this time. Wow. Me too. I thought I did pretty well. These questions well. keep getting harder now. I'm sorry. I'll throw in more multiple choice and true and falsies. I time. love these quizzes, Maddie. You gotta <laughs> I think you only got one wrong this time. Yeah, you crushed it. Thanks. Thanks, guys. Darn. <laughs> I feel pretty good about myself. Good. Good. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I think that was pretty much all we have for this episode. Yeah, I think that's it. All right. Bye. <laughs> <laughs>